Okay, everyone, welcome to the very latest Bolt from the Blue a podcast. Uh, straight after these Champions League uh, games, we've just um, been, uh, I don't, I'll, I'll check with uh, Colin and Ray in just a second whether they've, uh, like me, been watching the, the, the games uh, for uh, Chelsea and also Bayern and PSG. It's uh, 6.23 a.m. here in Korea, um, and I imagine it's... Uh, 10:23 there in in England. So let's let's get started, guys, and let me introduce uh, the two guys and let's see how they're doing. Because um, it's been a a couple of weeks. So let's start off with um, our contributor number one, Mister Presswich Blue, Colin Savage. Colin, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on. And uh, what have you been up to? Uh, well, back at work today, so um, um, trying to get some work done. But of course, the accounts came out, so. Uh-huh. That always leads to a certain amount of activity. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've been looking at those. And uh, you've been uh, on the phone to Swiss Ramble. Um, well, well we've been talking via Twitter, yes. Yeah, so we'll get into that maybe a little bit later on. But uh, we also have, of course, uh, Ray from um, City Fan TV on uh, YouTube. So, Ray, how are you doing? What you've been up to? Um, very well, thanks, Mike. You've been busy. Obviously, we had the international break and I'm, I'm not a big fan anymore of international football so that was kind of uh, actually for me for once from men's football a bit of a downtime uh, I've been working on a new project on women's football so that's been uh, uh, keeping me extremely busy interviewing managers and ex-players and, and stuff like that and I even got on uh, this is close to your heart I think Michael uh, on to uh, the, the, uh, the Northern Ireland women's team's um, Press conference with Kenny Shields, so that was quite. That was uh, yesterday. That was quite interesting. Wow! Uh, <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting when I do. We do the press conference next week because uh, Kenny Shields. If you don't know, he's he's uh, he used to play in Scotland, and he's a bit of a he's a bit of a card. He's a bit of a you know a funny guy. Uh, very very committed. Uh, always positive, but uh, he's funny at the press conferences as well. So um, there'll be some. Um, I'll, I'll get my reposting because he had he said something. He had a chat about me. He asked me a question, which is not what you, you're expecting from in a press conference with a manager. So I'll get get my reposting next week. Okay, and we'll we'll remember to check up with you about that. All right, guys. Well, um, in this particular pod, um, we're gonna uh, do a deep dive into the game against uh, Dortmund, which was a fascinating game. We'll do a very brief uh, Le- Leicester City retrospective because. That was the game that City were coming off, coming into this game. Uh, We'll look at um, the City financial report that uh, Colin mentioned, and then maybe a few extraneous matters at the end. But let's get started. Quarterfinal uh, first leg game against uh, Borussia Dortmund. And uh, a couple of interesting things about them coming into this game. Obviously, they'd they'd lost against Eintracht Frankfurt um, before this particular game, and that uh, put them seven points off the Champions League places. If you're interested in Erling Haaland saga, that obviously has uh, repercussions, you would imagine. Here we are, guys, and uh, it's fascinating for all of us because, you know, we've only ever once got beyond this stage in the Champions League before, and that was back with Pellegrini, um, the time that we lost to Madrid um, in the semi-final. Uh, but it's like, the, this seems to this seems to have been our, our ceiling, Colin. And so 
I was a little bit on edge about this game, even though it was only the first leg, because I always wonder if we've got the mentality to go all the way in this competition. What do you think about that? Uh, That's the opening question. Do City have the mentality, do you think, to, you know, get beyond setbacks and uh, really push on in this competition? That's a $64,000 question, isn't it? Because we've got the ability... But, you know, it, it's like, we, you know, we laugh at Manchester United losing semi-finals, Liverpool, who, who always seem to lose at Wembley in a final. And you do wonder whether there's something going on, whether there's a, a mentality block. When we get to that stage, we kind of mentally tighten up and, um, you know, can't, uh, you know, can't break that. Um, and to a certain extent, it, for a lot of the game, it looked, well, not, it looked a little bit like that last night as well. So, so yes, there's possibly something in that, that there's a mentality block. Yeah. What would you say, Ray? Totally agree. Totally agree. You know, um, the way we've gone out is has been disappointing in um, you know so many years. That that Monaco game, bitterly disappointing. Liverpool, yes, uh, you know, we, in half an hour we got basically had the tie uh, taken away from us. And okay, you can look at some unfortunate refereeing decisions that went against us um, that really uh, cemented our place outside the tie but we make mistakes we make silly mistakes you know the the game against uh, Leon Walker making him uh, a mistake and we've always got that so you know it, it's if, when we lost against Spurs you know we beat them the following week in, in the league um, and and it's like if Dortmund were, play, were playing in the Premier League we'd have battered them you know, I think we'd have beat them by three or four, um, and it's just something in 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 the Champions League where you see decisions that some of the players who are making or anything they've been making so many good decisions all season, and then they make for whatever reason um, you know a couple of bad decisions instead of being tip top form. So, it, and I can only put that down to mentality because Dortmund are a, a reasonable team. But that's it, you know. They've lost ten games in the Bundesliga this season, so you know they certainly know um, RB Leipzig or, or Bayern Munich. So I just think the mentality, and I, to be honest, I don't know if that's a, I don't know when that's going to change. I think I'm hoping that when it when it does click, it'll stay with us in the, the right mentality for a very long time. Colin, there were um, two encouraging things from last night's game, and that is that unlike in previous uh, quarterfinals. And we will talk about this in more detail. Uh, Two crucial factors in our demise in this competition, that is to say, uh, refereeing decisions and and not being able to come back from setbacks. It looked like we cured those because um, we got a crucial refereeing decision going our way. And of course, um, as everyone knows by now, um, we came back and uh, got the winner. So would you say that is, is this is a sign that maybe these issues are being put to rest a little bit? Uh, possibly, yeah. Um, certainly, the refereeing in the Champions League has been kinder than it than it has been previously. When you think back to that Liverpool quarter final, we were absolutely shafted in both games. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of poor decisions. And last night, I don't think there's any doubt we we got a little bit of luck with the um, the Bellingham mm-hmm. um, situation. The referee had blown before he scored, of course. But uh, there was some talk there was a foul on John Stones earlier in the move. You know, the referee 
saw gave it as he saw it. And of course, the Bellingham one, he couldn't call back, of course, because it wasn't subject to VAR. So, yeah, yeah. we had a bit of luck. You, well, you we, could say um, there, there was a foul on Haaland, I think, just outside the area, which is very soft. And if that was a foul, then our penalty was a penalty. But uh, as I said, perhaps the referee, knowing our record in penalties, chose to factor in that and save us the embarrassment of missing it. <laughs> I was going to give you a thought, Colin. Um, when Bellingham went through um, and nicked the ball away from Edison, okay, he, w- he went on to score and the referee had blown the whistle before he'd scored, so um, they, they couldn't do the VAR on the, the goal itself. But Edison kicked Bellingham. Bellingham nicked the ball away, Edison kicked him. Now, that's a foul. So Edison actually fouled I, Bellingham. I, he was late. I, I could, was... yeah, I, I, I could see, looking at it in real time, I could see why the ref gave it. Yeah. But it, it looked it looked more like a foul on Bellingham. 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 But, but, he, but, but here's my thing. Edison was Edison was outside his box. He was the last man. You you could even argue, I mean he fouled Bellingham. So he's fouled Bellingham outside the box as the last man. So they couldn't they have looked at that and said, Is that a potential red card? No, I no. don't think they can because um referee had given the foul and it was outside Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. But um yeah, you know, I, I don't. They couldn't look at the goal. I don't. He went on to score, so I don't think we. He didn't deny a goal scoring opportunity, did he? Well, so, the referee. So that, the that the There's a whole mess. Well, yeah, I, I see why the referee gave our penalty. I see why the referee gave that foul. Uh, yeah. The penalty had the advantage of VAR. I, I still think it was a fifty-fifty call. You know, we've seen them given it, as we say, the cliche goes. We've seen soccer ones given in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I just? Yeah. I mean, no, Rodri didn't help by clutching his face. I mean, yeah, he went to head the ball. Whether he dipped the ball caught him on the nose instead of the forehead, I don't know. No, but, no. Yeah, you know, at, at first I looked at that penalty and thought, nah, no, no way. And then the more I looked at it, I thought, well, he has actually caught him. Perhaps they will give it, but they didn't, of course. So well, I, can I, I, think that give it. I can see why you give it, because obviously he was clutching his face. He ducked down and it looked very close. And the first yeah. time I saw it, I thought... Yeah. Uh, I thought, what's happened there? And then he, with, his, with him holding his face, I thought he must have got a boot to the uh, face. But, I, I can see, I say, I can see why the referee gave both decisions the way he did yeah. initially. But VAR bailed, well, they bailed him out. VAR was available in the penalty incident; it wasn't available yeah. for the foul. I've got to say this, but Rodby cheated. I mean, there's no two ways to look to, to, to look there, at there that. Is, there is, there is another way of looking at it, Ray. That I've heard. If you if you'll indulge me, and that is that. Um, the, the theory is that he wasn't trying to uh, con the ref. Um, he was holding his face because of the pain in his, in knee, his knee, the kick yeah. on the knee, rather than <laughs> trying to do a Rivaldo and try to con the ref. Yeah. Uh, because he, he's smart, Rodri, you know. He's, he's <laughs> Mike, it, it yeah. took you so long to come to to ex- give to explain that explanation. <laughs> I'm sure you don't believe it yourself. It was it was cheating. Plain and simple. I don't know. I don't know. But um, okay, you're the only person in this room who would exonerate Ryan Giggs for his um, um, family matters. You're the only person who'd, who'd find a way to excuse him. No, come on, come on. You know, I wouldn't go that far. But anyway, to a certain extent, we are a little bit preempting um, the linear order here. Before we uh, get into to this, uh, guys, um, obviously, uh, in the aftermath of this game, we got some very good news. And that is that Kevin De Bruyne 
um, Colin has signed a, a contract extension taking him up to 2025. And one thing we talked about pre-pod is um, what do you reckon of these reports that uh, De Bruyne had commissioned analysts to uh, to examine his contribution to City's success in advance of, of final contract negotiations and also uh, City's uh, future pro- uh, prospects of success, particularly in Europe. Uh, what does that tell you? Well, uh, Kevin's a very smart because, you know, you've not got um, someone like uh, Mino Raiola thumping the table and demanding this, that, the other. And so, you know, he's, uh, obviously his agent was a bit of a bad lad. He's ditched the agent. You know, he's come to a, a, a quantitative decision uh, because he's looked at his own worth to the team, and I think uh, I did. You know, we don't need to. We don't need to. Um, we don't need to engage a data analyst to know his worth to the team. You know, he is um, almost the heartbeat of the team. We don't have a player that we couldn't manage without, but he's the closest thing, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he also wanted to be sure that the team was right for him. And, and because obviously he's 29 now, he's, you know, this contract now ties him down to 34. It, it's probably his uh, end game. So, you know, he had his one last chance to win things. Uh, and what, what the great thing, not just that he's signed, it says that he believes, or, or well, on, a, on a, an empirical view, or you can never be sure of these things, he believes we are going to match his ambition on mm-hmm. the field. Mm-hmm. Ray, uh, you remember when we were wondering um, how long it would take a uh, De Bruyne to uh, to get back into this um, this city lineup. Yeah, I mean, we well that was when he was injured, and I I, I said I'll, I'll still say it, that he shouldn't have come back into the starting lineup as soon as he did. Um, he should have you know t- taken a little time to um, on on the bench just a few games to get back into you know and see how this new city side was playing because we were playing a different way, and now he's in 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 there. Um, Generally, he's playing the the right way for the team. Uh, whereas I think a little bit more before um, his injury, he was playing more for Kevin De Bruyne uh, and still playing for the team because he's a great player. But I think he played a little bit more for himself. Uh, I mean, that not might not be consciously, might not be deliberately, but I think now now that he's a better fit in the unit of the team, and um, I think he's contributing even more because he's got that so much quality. Um, and once again, you know, we saw it, we'll talk about the Leicester game. We saw it against Leicester and we saw it against uh, uh, Bruce Dortmund as well. Mm-hmm. Very, very encouraging, though, all the same. And uh, there were uh, people um, posting, uh, some of our opponents even uh, posting on, on Twitter saying um, it's uh, amazing the way City just get these things done with a minimum of fuss. There's no like a long drag outs and sagas and things like that um hopefully the the days of the you know the summer long um sagas are, are are at an end but i think we need to go to the 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 lineups uh guys so we'll go to colin and i think the main talking point about the lineup was that uh there was uh, no raheem sterling phil foden was included and uh, certainly for for most of this game it seemed as though, Colin, that um, Phil Foden was doing his best Raheem Sterling impersonation. What do you think? <laughs> well, yes. Uh, I mean, no, no. I mean, that, that that's kind of quite funny in one sense, but not fair in another sense, because uh, as we discussed pre-pod, Foden was actually making an impact with the ball. Uh, I, I, I would say he was doing more of a David Silver impersonation, you mm-hmm. know, who kind of went all faint and blood drained from his head 
when he was got sight of the goal, um, which is very unfair to David Silva. No, well, that's the way it seemed. Uh, you know, Foden, as, as we saw that clip that's going around about him leaving two dormant players in his wake, Foden gives us some penetration, he gives us some energy, he gives us some inventiveness. And what we've seen with Sterling this season is running into blind alleys, failing to control the ball, you know, taking 10 touches to get it under control, um, running into blind alleys, uh, you know, all the worst bits of his game will come to the fore again this season. Whereas um, Foden gives us something. And, and he missed two very good chances, a third decent chance. Um, had it not been for you know, had it not been for those, I think he would definitely definitely been in the running. Well, definitely would have been man of the match over Kevin De Bruyne. It, on form, that was our best eleven, I think. Ray, um, isn't this the key difference really between um, Sterling and and Foden? It, it seems in in that. Raheem is as, as fast as he is. He runs into traffic. Whereas, even though it, it was frustrating that it seemed that Foden was shooting straight at the the goalkeeper a lot of the time, um, the way that he slaloms through players and gets into really dangerous positions, it really marks the difference between those two at the moment. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Sterling, generally this this season, last season as well, he. He's been simply relying on pace to beat people. Now, if you want, if you want pace to beat somebody, look at the uh, sorry, the Bayern Munich game tonight, where you know Bayern Munich have got wingers who can beat people simply on pace. Now, Raheem can get past a lot of players just on pace, but if you if you're just going to knock it past someone and run, you know, a good defender uh, who might not be as fast as you can 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 still cope with you. And the difference is Forden. Forden uses his skill, trickery, a bit of nous, you know, which is um, remarkable for a 20-year-old lad, the way he gets past people. And, and, the, and for me, the biggest difference was Forden created those opportunities himself. And generally, you know, I, I wouldn't expect Raheem Sterling to create three opportunities all on his own. I uh, just in, in a game, you know, maybe two or three, maybe three years ago, four years ago, he, he was doing that in the Centurion season, uh, in the formidable season. But you know, the last couple of seasons, I don't really see, see him doing that. And for me, right now, Foden is our best winger by a long way. He's better than Mares. He's better than uh, Sterling. Better than anybody you want to throw out on the wing. Uh, he's the man. He can, you know, I'm, I'm happy with him playing on the left or the right. It's a great. A f- piece of flexibility, you know, that he can play on either wing, and he's he, he's very accomplished on uh, on either wing as well. So, guys, uh, just uh, coming into this game, of course, uh, all eyes were on Erling Haaland, and um, we're not going to do any uh, transfer speculation just at this point. Maybe we might talk about that a little bit later. But, um, Colin, it seemed that he was. Um, teasing the City fans uh, because in advance of this game he arrived at the, the Lowry Hotel with this um, sky blue backpack, you know, which was very clearly <laughs> set off against his, his his dark suit and then obviously we had the video of him stepping into the stadium and gasping and calling our stadium beautiful and then even when he, he, um, he emerged onto the pitch for the game uh, someone noticed that he uh, stepped around the city badge and instead of walking over it like the other players. Um, wh- what do you think Holland was teasing the city fans about a future 
possible move, do you think? Well, he's a city fan himself, isn't he, allegedly? So, and they um, all. And they all. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, apart from the ones who were Liverpool fans from Bertha. Yeah. Ray, was, was he sending out signals with that behaviour? <laughs> Mike, everybody's trying to put two and two together and get some somewhere in the region of seven or eight. The, the blue, look, okay, here we go. The blue backpack was a Louis Vuitton uh, sky blue backpack, okay? Louis Vuitton, um, you, you know, at the headquarters in Paris. Uh, so maybe, you know, he's wearing it for PSG. Um, the bag was probably Italian leather made in Milan. So maybe he's looking at Inter or AC. There's so many different ways you, you, you could, you know, try, and, try and do that. The blue for PSG and Inter Milan, Ray. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just saying the Louis Vuitton, you know, Louis Vuitton, you know, if he, if, why didn't he, if he wanted uh, to send out a message, why didn't he choose a good British brand instead of Louis Vuitton, um, <gasps> oh, Burberry or Mulberry or whatever? Uh-huh. But I think just people are just trying to, you know, read too too much into it. Look, he walked around the crest, maybe he's, in, he's a nice, polite lad. I, I really, I'd be shocked. I really would be shocked if that's the first time he's been to the Etihad Stadium. Uh, I really would be. No, no, he has been. He has been. There's photographic evidence of that. Yeah. So for him to say, "Wow, what a stadium!" I'm sorry. Sorry, I think that's just for effect. Yeah. Um, you know, everything is everything is just a you know showcase that he's in town even more because everybody's talking about now all the tongues are wagging about um, Haaland, he's been in Spain, you know, there's 10 clubs who are interested in him and all this, and they're touting him around and going to auction him off and all that. And he's just playing to the galleries. Um, and, you know, his star right now is shining bright. He's, he's just going to keep uh, uh, shining it even more. So uh, I, I don't read anything to, to what, he, what he did on, um, before the game or after the game. Yeah, he's a fascinating character. With a slight adjustment to that haircut, you could very easily pass off as Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, we're not going to talk about the um, the the Dortmund lineup too much, uh, Colin. But clearly, when you looked, the the eye catching names there were, of course, um, uh, Jude Bellingham and uh, uh, Royce and and Haaland, of course. Um, we got a little uh, look after seven minutes at Bellingham because he carved out a, a good chance and and fired one at um, Ederson who who saved it um, sharply. Um, what did you think of uh, Jude Bellingham? Yeah, he looked um, he looked more dangerous, a bit more dangerous than Harlan, didn't he? Really, he did. Um, he did. Yeah, looked very um, looked very good. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? You know, I, I, well, we knew that anyway. Um, look, I've only seen him a little bit. Since his move, um, he looks extremely promising, and like I think you just have to see him a little bit more. I mean, anybody can have a good game, um, so you know I think you need to just see him a little bit more regularly to see how good he's going to be. But right now, he looks like another one that uh, on the production line at Dortmund they've got him for peanuts from uh, was Brentford, was it in England? Um, and he's going, you know, right now if somebody wants to buy him, I'm sure they tag him at forty, fifty, even sixty million quid, you know. Um, in a short space of time, and uh, they are really good at that. And look, I mean, I look, some people say, "Well, why didn't we get him from City? City, we could have bought him as a sixteen-year-old. When would he have ever played for City? You know, we'd have said, well, you're not as good as Raheem Sterling or Foden or Mahrez or Bernardo Silva, so stay in the in, in the in, in the reserves. You know, stay with the uh, academy.' And and it's just that 
everybody knows that Dortmund will give their kids a chance. There was a, a game not too long ago, um, and I, I can't remember what, which one it was, but I remember watching it, and they had um, Haaland and um, Haaland started and Jadon Sancho. Now, they were both 20 years old when at that game. They had five players younger than um, Jadon Sancho and Haaland start that game. And it was crazy. They had a 16-year-old, they had a, a kid called Makoku, who plays up uh, an attacker, and they had to wait until he was 16 before they could play him. You know, they wanted to play him before he was 16. So they've got a lot of you know, good young players, Gio Reyna, uh, Claudio Reyna's son, and loads more. So, you know, it was... So, look, you asked me about Bellingham. He's, he looked exciting. Um, you could see he's got a little bit of, a little bit about him. He's got bundles of pace, and he's got that little bit of trickery, and uh, you know he'll trip up um, certain defenders who who aren't on the top of their game. Uh, pop quiz question for Colin, uh, just briefly here. Um, uh, Giovanni uh, Reina came on as a late substitute in this game, and someone noted that it had been a certain number of years since uh, his father last played at the Etihad Stadium, as it is called now. Um, how many years do you think it was that his father last played for Manchester City? 15, I would have said. Very, very, very close, actually. 14, 14 years. Um, but um, let's go straight to the first goal, uh, Ray. Now, this was nice to, to watch. I, I, if, Emre Chan was a former Liverpool player, isn't that right? And yeah, yeah. He, he was the one who gave the ball away in midfield. And uh, we have a goal involving Mares, involving Foden and involving De Bruyne or De Bruyne, I should say. What did you think? Yeah, look, it was a really good uh, goal from City. It's one thing that we, we try and do. We try and win that ball uh, high up the pitch, you know, by a little bit, sometimes a bit of swarming. Um, and if you can win the ball back from your opponent, uh, when you've got four or five players up the pitch uh, and then you can hit them when they're out of position and, and City it can be devastating like that and it all stemmed from a, a, pa- a misplaced pass from Emery Chan straight, it was pretty much straight to Mares. Mares didn't have to do anything to intercept it just kind of hit him uh, he, pa- he passed it on to KDB he knocked it wide uh, to Foden and then Foden put it in the box and I was a bit disappointed uh, with, with Mares for not coming in Um away from, you know, he, he was still quite uh, out wide. Um, when Foden put it in, I thought Mara should have been coming in to actually score the goal himself, but he stayed a little bit wide. He got the ball and it, 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 you've got to say a very calm and cool pass to KDB, who was in the, about at this stage in about uh, probably around the six-yard uh, box. And he just hit it hard. Um, the keeper didn't have time to react, you know, hit firmly from that uh, from that distance. Uh, and it was one nil, and it was um, it was. I'm not saying City deserved it because you know in the first ten minutes it was. A, I thought it was a pretty cagey start, pretty even. Um, but look, you know, City go ahead, and usually, and it's been mostly this season, especially uh, in the last 28 to 30 games. Once City go ahead, that's it. No one's going to come back. Colin Savage, um, <laughs> perhaps it was not altogether unpredictable that. Um, Ray was going to have a little bit of a, 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 a dig at Riyad Mahrez there. But I actually d- dis- disagree. I think that that was the one, possibly uh, other people have said as well, that was the one good thing he did all game. Well, what do you think? 
Uh, I thought he was busy. I thought he was, uh, but the second half he faded out of it a bit. I thought, and um, but but Mares, yeah, I mean, obviously set the goal up nicely. Um, but uh, you know, he's always he's more of a threat than Sterling for me. So um, yeah. on on that on that right hand side, you know, he has the ability to come in, put the ball on his left foot, curl one in. Um, so so for me, yeah, he was the right choice, and he didn't. I don't think he was. Terrible. He, uh, he played a he played a part, uh, but I don't think anyone was great. Uh, certainly in that first half, uh, uh, I, I think you've got to give uh, Dortmund a lot of credit for that. They, their, their game plan nullified our midfield. We we struggled to find outlets, to be honest, uh, and we were just slowing things down and you know t- taking that extra few seconds because we couldn't find a, a, a killer pass we normally do. Now, um, Ray, uh, sort of in the in the interests of not going through absolutely every single tiny moment in the game, the, the next two things I had on my list to talk about for halftime um, was what you guys have already talked about, and that was the um, the penalty claim that um, that didn't happen for City, and, and then also Ederson dawdling on the ball outside his own penalty area and, and the Bellingham incident. Um, but um, any any other points you want to mention about either yeah, I mean, incidents? I I I, I felt that uh, sitting one at it uh, in the way we have been obviously in, in in the Premier League. I thought there were some you know, mislaid passes uh, more than you'd expect from City. Um, some not the best control at times, um, and I think on occasion players were holding on to the ball too long. There was a moment before. Um, that penalty, which wasn't a penalty, where Rodri, um, I think he just passed the ball to Haaland just outside our box. You know, he was he was under pressure from I think three or four uh, Dortmund players, and he, he ended up just passing it to one of them. I think it was Haaland. Um, but apart from that, um, the really, you know, I think I think we had a bit of control once we'd scored. We looked at. Um, in, in, in better control of the game, but coming towards half time, I think we did lose just a little bit of, of that control. At half time, um, there were no changes, but uh, Colin, after the game, we learned that something interesting had happened at half time, and that's the um, the linesman trying to get an autograph from Erling Haaland during the break <laughs> on, on his yellow card. What did you think about that? It's a very strange one, isn't it? But, uh, you know, maybe he's got kids, and I don't know. Uh, what what uh, I can't remember what country the uh, officials Romania. were from. Actually. Romania. Romania, yeah. You know, so it it you could say it's a bit unprofessional, but you know they're only human beings like the rest of us, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, I learned that um, he's he's actually a representative of a charity rep, uh, for autism, and uh, he was getting uh-huh. he was getting this because he wanted to auction it for that charity. So um, pro- probably a lot of the moralising was maybe a little bit over the top, but uh, you, uh, obviously you had a lot of the older pundits say, well, you know, this is this is w- what's going to happen if him, he gets involved in some kind of decision um, involving Haaland in, in, in the next leg, and, and people are going to be wondering whether there's favouritism going on. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it, it's an, it was an interesting one, but... Um, just a just a sidebar talking point, uh, Ray. Uh, after the break, uh, three minutes after the the restart, 
uh, Holland became the talking point because I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that to Ruben Diaz. Um, <laughs> what did you think, Ray? I mean, I, I, some people think that, in fact, um, Diaz had just done enough to put Holland off. What did you think? It depends how you want to look at it. I mean, there's other people thought that uh, Diaz could have, um, you know, he was impeding Haaland when Diaz fell down and that um, could have been curtains for, for, for Diaz. Look, I mean, Haaland showed you know, what he's all about in, 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 that, in those moments. Uh, I think he displayed great power, uh, strength uh, to, to knock Diaz away, pace because Diaz was struggling to keep up with him and, and, and balance as well. And, and, and I think he was actually knocked off balance towards the end when Diaz basically fell down. And I think Diaz tried to not, uh, kind of fall into him. And and then he would have argued that, you know, I, I felt it was an accident. Uh, but that was a dangerous thing to do. And Haaland, I think as he got into the box, he was stumbling a little bit. And he you could see, I think he wanted to just dink it uh, over Edison. But he, but he didn't have the right balance to do that. He ended up hitting along the ground and Edison Edison had come out and, you know, I think made, some people said a, a good save, some others had a fortunate save. Uh, if if Haaland, had, I think if Haaland had been there just a fraction earlier, he'd have had the right uh, body shape to just flick that over Edison. Uh, but he showed, you know, that he, he, he can play off the, off the shoulder very easily. We saw plenty of... In the game, um, where you know he they could knock it long to him, he's six foot four. I think Diaz is six foot one, so you know he's, he's got a, a, a good height advantage as well. I think that's about set, uh, best part of seven centimeters, so it's a good height advantage. Uh, he, he looks much wider than Diaz as well, so you can see people bouncing off him. Um, and as I said, when they knock the ball long to him, he can, and if you knock it in the channels, he can chase it. Uh, if you knock it to him, he can control it because no one's going to you know, come around the side of him um, to, to get the ball and, and stop it going to his chest or something. So he's an, a handful. And uh, I think it's quite funny because obviously we didn't want him to score, but a lot of City fans were getting excited because they think we're going to get him. But getting excited, that if, if he can do this to Diaz, you know, can you imagine what he's going to do to uh, uh, mere mortal defenders in the Premier League? Yeah, well, that 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 is the point. He is he's an absolute monster, a bulldozer. But I think when I ask this next question to Colin, he might pour some cold water over the prospects of him coming uh, to City because we discussed this a little bit pre-pod. Now, um, Colin, um, you might remember this uh, story that was told about Cristiano Ronaldo. He played against Manchester United before. Um, he joined them and, and all of their players went to Ferguson and demanded that uh, that you, that he should sign uh, Cristiano for United, which, of course, he eventually did. Now, uh, I'm just wondering if you reckon uh, that City players, especially with, you know, um, the sort of love in between Foden and, and Holland at the end, we can talk about later what, what you think they were talking about. But um did you get the impression that the city players would have would would have been thinking after the game we've got to sign this guy? Mm, not necessarily. I mean, I, I think uh, we, we know whether we want to sign him or not. To be honest, and um, you know, there's all sorts of stories been flying around about Minariola um, demanding twenty million and Harland family demanding twenty million. I, I'm not sure. You know, I, I believe those. I, I know we won't pay above the odds. So. Um, We'll wait and see what happens. But I think on that showing, 
the players will be battering down Pep's uh, Chicky Bagheeri stands doors and, and demanding that we um, sign him. But, um, you, you know, who knows? Um, uh, my question, as we talked about before, was, you know, as we saw with that thing with, with Diaz, he's a good, Haaland's a good old-fashioned centre-forward. I was looking at an analysis before in The Athletic. I actually said he's almost the ideal. He's, he's equally good linking up, he's equally good as an aerial threat, and he's equally good running in behind. Do we put that many crosses in? You know, most of our balls into the box are on the floor. What well, we have been guilty of not converting chances, and we saw last night with Foden, and we've seen with Sterling, and we've seen with, <clears throat> excuse me, with Mares and, and um, Bernardo is another one who seems to have fallen into that kind of hole um, this season. Um, in Kevin De Bruyne, I was struggling to get goals earlier on. And as we saw when Aguero came on, we, we aren't used to, to playing with a forward who runs in behind that way. And yeah, I'm sure we could adapt to it, but um, and we do need, you know, we do need another. If Aguero's going, we do need another option. But, you know, maybe we need something a little bit different to Haaland. I don't know. Not that I wouldn't like him, but you know, maybe we do need something a little bit different. Let, let me put this to Ray. Ray, um, there are two... Uh, strong points um, against the idea that City might sign Holland and one four, and I think the two points against it is that if Pep just does not like number nines, I mean that that's just just indisputable, and also they hate um, paying more than about 60, 70 million euros, and uh, Dortmund have made it clear that they're looking for one hundred and fifty, or it's no deal. Uh, on the other hand, of course, uh, I, I was watching um, uh, a YouTube video where you had Asan Naim of the 9320 pod and, and esteemed company. And um, uh, Naim, who apparently has a lot of uh, contacts, is absolutely convinced that this is uh, going to happen. Uh, it, it would, Don't you feel it would involve a considerable change in City's style? Uh, and also, just one more thing, Ray. Um, <laughs> in, 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 in support of um, the argument that City will uh, sign him, they were saying that there was no way that they would have um, announced Aguero's departure if they were not planning this. No. I, 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 look, pe- people can say they've got contacts. Uh, you know, we have to... Whether you believe them or not, it's, it's up to you. Um, you know, or up to you know, whoever's reading this uh, or listening... Um, uh, and, and and you just don't know. And this is the truth. We just don't know. You know, uh, unless you're talking to Cheeky and Ferran and, and Pep. Let's be honest. Who knows? Um, the money, the money aspect. I don't think Dortmund are going to get the money that they're asking for. There's a talk of 180 million euros. I can't see anybody doing that. They're hoping for Barcelona or Real Madrid or PSG or City to come in. That's not. I can't see that happening with the finances in Spain at the moment. Um, it, it's going to be really t- difficult, and you know, City put out the the noises as well to say we can't afford it. You know, we might not buy somebody. Um, it's weird because we, we've had two stories. I think Collins alluded to this before. We've had two stories now where we, we can't afford to spend that sort of money, um, and we might not have a striker now. Pep said um, next uh, we might not buy a striker in the summer, and then there's a story that. Pep told Aguero, we're going to get an eye tonight, number nine, and you're going to be a bit part player. So Aguero said, I'm leaving. So you've got two different you know, sides of the coin there. The, so the money, would City pay it? 
look, if, it, if we go back a few years, if, if Messi had been available for £200 million and he was definitely going to uh, go, I think City would have gone for it. I think uh, I think that maybe a bit less than 200, but I think City would have gone for it. Um, so that's one thing. So I think the, the money side of things, he's such a talent that uh, if they think he's in that you know that category A type player, I've always said it. Someone like Messi, someone like, like um, um, the cheap Ronaldo, as in Cristiano, not the original Ronaldo. Um, they'd have got those, you know a few years ago. They'd have got those type of players. They'd have paid the money. Um, and it just Britain's a lot more of a spotlight on, on Manchester City. So the money is, I'm kind of 50-50 about that, whether we'd, we wouldn't spend 180, I, I don't believe that. 120 is a possibility. But then you've got the add-ons of Mineriola's cash, he'll want 20 million, and apparently Alfie wants 20 million, um, Erling's father. Uh, it suddenly becomes extremely, extremely expensive. Is it affordable? Uh, a push? I think City can still do it if, if they want to. Number nine, um, Something I thought about, if you think about the Centurion season, we were awesome. You think about the formidable season, we were awesome again. And you can, there's an argument that last season, we lost a couple of players um, and teams kind of worked, the argument was, teams kind of worked us out a little bit. They worked out how they could deal with us. Um, and we lost a bundle of games last season in the league. I mean, we had, I think we finished reasonably was 81 points. But we lost a bundle of games. Um, so I think this season we've, we've hit upon um, a good setup and a good tactics and structure, and it's working well. I think it'll work well next season. The season after, could it be that teams work us out again? And they'll, they'll start to figure out a way to deal with us. We saw at the start of the season we were struggling. Teams figure things out. And they, they, they hang in, in in games and then they hit us on the break and run through us and, and whatever. So maybe in two seasons' time, or a season, a year and a half's time, we need, we'll need someone like Kyle and we'll need to change it up again. Mm-hmm. So he, he would be ideal. I mean, I actually think, we you know, we, we could really be interested in, in another attacking midfielder this, uh, uh, um, this summer. Because Aguero's going, I don't think anybody else from the attackers will go. But I think we, you know, we could do, um, you know, go with another attacking midfielder instead of a striker, and then go for Haaland. And the change in style, it, it dep- that's so that's where the change in style comes in in two years' time. But it's also um, uh, looking at the way KDB's changed. KDB's not the same, exactly the same as he was before he was injured. He's had to change just a little bit to fit into the team. I think just more short passes. And I think Haaland would have to change as well. I'm not an, an enthusiast of building your team around one player. Because if that if you've done that and then that player goes off injury, you know, goes, let's say he has a crucial ligament injury and he's out for nine or 10 months, what do you do if you've built your whole plans and strategies around one player? I think that's dangerous. What if he could get, a, you know, lose his form? You know, Haaland is in uh, uh, incredible form at the moment but what's to say that he, he goes and, and does a Christian Bentekin has a terrible lean spell or a Lukaku at Man United and, and goes through you know or something happens in his personal life and he loses confidence or whatever so I think that's a risk I, I'd much rather have what we've, we've got now um, great players and I, I if you watch this I think some if some of our players go to other teams we've seen that with with Fabian Delphi went to Everton and Everton fans were basically complaining from the get-go when, when he's gone. We'll see when, and look at what's happening at um, 
can't remember the club now. Was it um, Port? Where we got Diaz from? Um, uh, was that uh, Benfica? Benfica. Yeah, so we've sent Otamendi out there. Their fans are complaining about Otamendi. You see where players leave us, they're not the same. So it's it's the team, it's the structure, it's everything that we've got together that makes it work. And then when you've got good players who fit into that structure, then they can shine. So, you know, you. but I think the main thing is fitting into that team structure. So Haaland has to fit into us. We don't have to change for him. If If we change for him, I don't think that's a good idea make him change a little bit because he doesn't you know people say he doesn't want to run but make him run a little bit because he's got so many good attributes and, and finally I'd rather we had him uh, than Bayern Munich or PSG or Real Madrid or Barcelona I'd rather we had him and put him on our bench make our bench a little bit more expensive uh, give the BT commentators something else to talk about and, and just uh, I'd rather he was with us than with somebody else well, um, I'll just pick uh, pick uh, a couple of points out out of that, uh, Ray. I think first of all, I think City fans were complaining just as much, or perhaps e- even more, about Otamendi before he went to Benfica uh, than, uh, than 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 their fans. But um, uh, Colin, there's absolutely no danger, no danger at all, of Pep building a team around one player. Uh, absolutely no chance of that because he's never done that. But I'll not ask you, Colin, to uh, to talk about whether they'll sign Haaland particularly, but if you were to put your money on which positions that uh, Pep would want to strengthen this summer, what do you think? Well, I think a forward is obviously a like for like. Is obviously a priority. You know, there's always talk about a left back, but there's, there's talk about potential replacement for uh, Fernandinho. But I think he's got another Fernandinho's got another season in him. Uh, you know, and I, I think uh, we'll talk about the, the finances, but. You know, talk about Grealish. I, I'm not sure where Grealish fits, to be honest, because I don't see he's not yeah. a replacement for Fernandinho. We've got Foden, we've got Bernardo. Um, you know, I, I think uh, a forward is probably the priority, but money might be tight. We might have to um, see how things go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, Ray, the next thing that uh, the next three things I have on my my little timeline. And to a certain extent, we've already talked uh, a little bit um, about them because they all involve Phil Foden. And um, I just want to see which one that you're interested in talking about. The first one, 52 minutes, there's a wonderful uh, cross from De Bruyne to Foden. But unfortunately, his first touch was bad. And uh, while he was waiting, he did rescue the situation. But while he was waiting for Walker to come on the overlap, uh, you know, Dortmund cut off the passing lane. And then yeah. 10 minutes later, um, uh, De Bruyne gets to the, the byline, pulls a ball back to Phil Foden. This might be the one that you you might want to talk about. And he's got what seems to be a cracking chance, but straight at the goalkeeper. And then 12 minutes after that, again, De Bruyne skips across the, the, the Dortmund penalty area. It lines up a shot and... Um, uh, just fires wide of the the far post, but a few moments few moments after that, Foden clear shot on goal, but shoots straight at the, the goalkeeper again. Any one of those moments that uh, take wow. your fancy? <laughs> you, you were lucky there. I just noticed I was reading my Leicester notes, and I thought I don't remember that happening. Anyway, uh, I've got my my Dortmund notes now. The one I'll talk about is uh, the, the the pass over uh, the top for KDB out wide on the right. He, he, he cuts in. I think it was Hummels trying to get him. Hummels is about 
about 45 now, isn't he? He was too slow. He was not catching KDB. And he pulled the ball back for, for Fordham. And it's actually, you could say, it's quite similar to the ball Maris pulled back for KDB. KDB hits it cleanly. Um, I don't think he worried where it was going when he when he scored. And I think Fordham did the same. Um, and generally, you think if you get a clean connection, you get a reasonable amount of power on it. Um, if it's a little bit to the side of the keeper, he's not saving that. Unfortunately, this time it was straight at the keeper and uh, he saved it with his feet. I don't know what the commentators were saying. It was a good save. You know, if the fella did a move, he'd have saved it. So you know, he, he managed to clear it away and they had it clear. Um, but that was a that was a really good opportunity. And look, I've never been a professional footballer, uh, nowhere near it. So I don't know what the right thing to do in that situation is. Is it just uh, is it enough to have a good, clean connection, hit it on target? And if the goal, you know, if it's too near the keeper and he saves it, so be it. Or, you know, should you be looking for a little bit more and actually uh, trying to beat the keeper, putting it in the corner or something? I don't know. Um, but it was one of those, you know, it, I felt if we if he'd scored there, I think we could have got another goal um, and the tie would have almost been over. On the 80th minute, we had another, yet another uh, Foden moment. And I think we saw the worst and the best here, Colin, because... He really slalomed through. I love that verb, slalomed through the Dortmund defence. But then he shanked this awful shot, like really wide yeah. the far post with his left foot. Now that seemed to be the story of 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 the night until until a little bit later. But um, that 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 was kind of like the 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 best and the worst of Foden, don't you feel? Yeah, uh, I mean, absolutely summed it up. And, and I think the thing from um, obviously we were one 0 up. If we got a second. I think Dortmund would have uh, sat back and tried to hang on to that 2-0 um, loss to, to avoid it getting worse. Yeah. Uh, while it was 1-0, but they had every opportunity to come at us, of course. I think 2-0, they just take the 2-0 uh, and, and try and take us back to Dortmund and do something. Uh, so, so I think that was costly. Um, you know, we, we sowed, sowed the seeds of our own death uh, in many ways by not taking those chances. Uh, and, and I think um, you know Foden must bear the brunt of the blame for that. Really, uh, no getting away from that. But yeah, um, that you know that summed it up, didn't it? You know, a wonderful, wonderful piece of skill to to leave those Dortmund defenders training in his wake, and then you know a really awful shot. Well, it wasn't even a shot, was it? Just completely, as you say, completely shanked. Yeah, yeah. I think that will probably explain um, when we talk about the winning goal uh, just uh, in a few minutes, I'll explain why he didn't celebrate uh, too much, Ray. But the next thing on our agenda is uh, Dortmund's goal. And this involved uh, Bellingham and Holland and uh, Royce. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Uh, the Dortmund goal, yeah. Um, look, there was uh, basically a, a pass to Haaland. Um, as I said earlier, you're not... You know, he had his back to goal, but you're not going to get the ball of Haaland. And it's easy to see on TV. Uh, it really was. As soon as the ball was coming, he shaped to flick it around the corner. And Royce was on the move. And uh, as soon as he was on the move, I thought, right, Kyle, Kyle has to go with him, Kyle Walker. And he didn't. And it, I don't know what, what you know, I've, I've not watched the game again. So now I've, I've only seen a couple of replays and that's it. And I'm trying to work out, was Kyle Walker trying to play um, somebody offside? Uh, or was he just asleep? You know, um, I, I still vividly remember the game against Lyon last season. And I have to, you know, um, mention this. 
where Cal Walker was, uh, and I think we had a, uh, our um, pod was, was it just one Cornetto or something? But there's a guy called Cornet. Cal Walker, he was watching him. He was his man. He had no idea what was going on uh, in the middle of the park. Cal Walker was playing the people, uh, players on side. And then the guy who he was marking or watching, Corney, legged it down. And Carl Walker didn't do anything. And in the end, um, they ended up scoring. Um, and it felt, it wasn't the same, but you know, the thing with Carl, sometimes he, you know, he's had a good few games and he's been playing re- reasonably well. But I, part, on reflection, is that because of the dominance of City and other teams have not really put him under pressure. Uh, and, and here, when he was required to go with Royce, he didn't. Uh, and Royce nipped through the gap and he slotted it past Edison. Some people think Edison could have saved it. I, d- I don't know. I think it was a it was a well-taken shot from Royce. And, you know, he's been unlucky with injuries in his in his career and he's still a good player. And it was one all and, and, and City fans were, you know, uh, we we chewed our nails and pulled our hair out and and all that and we were thinking is it going to happen to us again you know we, we're far better than I think we're far better than Dortmund and are we going to end up you know going out at this stage when really it looked like we were destined um, to go a, l- a little bit further in the tournament. Well, at that point, uh, Colin, there was a tweet from our, our friend Mark Goldbridge. Uh, on Twitter, uh, which said "justice on toast," probably uh, referring to the uh, the uh, the Bellingham um, uh, effort that was uh, the, the the goal that that, that never was. Uh, luckily for me, um, four minutes later, approximately, um, I was able to tweet back at him and just you know up yours, Mark Goldbridge, because um, City got the the winning goal, and uh, again, where it, it involves Kevin De Bruyne. And it involves Gundogan and, of course, um, Philip Foden. And um, start uh, uh, just an amazing, amazing 30-yard pinpoint pass to pick out Gundogan. And that was amazing, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, that's Kevin De Bruyne, isn't it? Um, just just incredible. Um, and, of course, this time, I thought Gundogan had a very quiet game. I thought he had a very quiet game. Uh, but, but this time, you know, they were on point and... Uh, Got the goal, so um, yeah. I mean, I mean, Foden would have struggled to miss that one, to be honest. But um, you know, you've got to be there to score them, haven't you? You do indeed, and um, and and that was that was pretty much that. Two um, one to City. Uh, Ray, after the game, um, what do you reckon Foden was chatting with Holland about? <laughs> he was asking for a piggyback um, <laughs> to, back down the tunnel. I mean, look, Harland's six foot four. Foden, I think he's about five seven, five six, five seven, five eight, something like that. So Harlan is miles taller. And it, it looked, you know, it, it looked like uh, Phil Foden looked like a teddy bear uh, compared to Harlan. So I mean, there's lots of different things that people have said. I, I can't, I can't re- repeat the one about Jackie. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. I can't repeat that. Um, um, but. Um, Someone was talking about a cagoule, all sorts of things. But um, look, you know, I don't know whether they're asking for a shirt or whatever, or what my dad was watching. I don't know. I know, I know. It was just a funny moment, and uh, it was obviously one of those things that you'll see in a caption competition. But uh, uh, Colin, um, I was interested in the post-match comments, and uh, one struck my fancy here from Matt Hummels, who, when he was um, giving his 
match summary, he said uh, it was clear that we created more chances than City did. Uh, what do you think about that one? Uh, I think that's wrong. <laughs> um, you know, they didn't. Yeah, you know, they didn't create that many chances, did they? Uh, they took the one they got. Um, there were one or two others. Yeah, they, they created. We looked at times, um, but you know, I, I, I think um, Mr. Hummels has been borrowing from. Well, it, having he probably played for Jurgen Klopp, so. You know, it's got a whole book full of ex- excuses and offers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got form for that. Uh, Ray, two two quick uh, questions uh, for you here. Um, nicely poised second leg. Uh, here's my two questions. Um, do you fear the return of Jaden Sancho? Number one, and number two, what do you think about the suggestion that people have made that Fernandinho should come in instead of Rodri for the second leg? Um. It's interesting that is is Jaden Sancho definitely going to be fit? I don't know um, whether he is or isn't. I thought he was out for both legs. That's what I was hoping. Not hoping. Hoping is the wrong, wrong way to look at it because you want to play against the best another team's got to offer. But that's what I uh, that's what I thought. Fernandinho, look, you know, it's really difficult because Pep said he wants to go out and win it. Really. Uh, what I don't want is to go out and try and defend it because I think you're asking for trouble then. You're asking yeah. in, in this in, in this era, this age of penalties all over the shop, you know, you're asking for a, a little tug here and there, a little, you know, accidental handball from five yards away that's given because it's one of those. Um I, I don't want us to, I don't want us to be under constant pressure. Um and I want us to be looking for that goal because I think if we get a goal, yes, Dortmund still only need two to get to extra time, but it puts the pressure on them. They know if they score a goal and we don't, they're through. So they've got to score. And why don't we put the pressure on them uh, as much as we can without being open? Now, you know, I, I tried to pick a team uh, on my channel last night and the guy shouted me down and said, you can't be too defensive. And I said, why can't we have three at the back? Why can't we have uh, Stones, Diaz uh, and Laporte as our three guys at the back and have Fernandinho and Rodri in front of them? Fernandinho to, to protect and Rodri to, to, to kind of, you know, uh, get the ball and move it on. Uh, and out wide we can have Cancelo and Zinchenko if you want and then just three up front, so play 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, that that so was exactly my thought as well. Yeah. I think the way I look at it is you've got your attacking threat. You know, if you've got someone like Foden up front, you got someone like Mares, um, let's say Jesus or Bernardo. Oh, sorry, KDB in the middle. I still think that's a, a pretty uh, good threat. Um, and then you you still got Rodri supplying, and you still got Cancelo out wide and Zinchenko out wide. You, know, you might want to have somebody else instead of Zinchenko. I don't know, but you know you've got the guys who can slip back into defensive mode if they need to, if if teams are breaking. Uh, and, and can attack if we need to, like Cancelo or Zinchenko. So, you know, at times we can ha- go back to having five men mm. on the pitch in attack whilst making sure we've got five men covering our, um, you know, our, our bases at the back. So, it, it, I don't know. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's good, what's bad. You know, it's one of those things. If, if Pep does something like that and we lose and get knocked yeah. out, people... Yeah. We'll people criticise him if he goes gung ho and plays a normal system trying to score, and we lose two nil. People will criticise him. So you know, I don't know what's right. All I care about is getting through. 
Yeah, Colin, that seems like a fascinating um, lineup uh, that Ray uh, mentioned there with three the those three gladiators at the back and and both uh, Fernandinho and Rodri. Uh, just two points that you could maybe talk about. Um, is that the way that you'd play it? Number one and number two would. Um, uh, Pep is uh, on a on a loser because it, whatever he does, he'll get accused of either being too conservative or overthinking it. Yeah, well, I think um, what the nice thing was about last night's game was it was a you know what what has been a traditional lineup for us this season. So you know there were no great surprises there. I, I don't, don't necessarily think in in hindsight it wasn't the right lineup because we looked much better when um, Gabby uh, because he he gave the Hummels have been able to push up uh, because he didn't really have a centre forward to mark. Oh, this so, was so, Gabriel Jesus came on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think we looked better when when he came on because it forced Dortmund back a bit. Um, so yeah, I mean the lineup Ray suggested was one that occurred to me um, earlier. Will Pep do it? I mean because he's saying we're going to go to win, uh, and we know we can score. So, you know, if we get a goal there, they've got to score three. Will they score three? I don't know. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I hope we don't go there and try something stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I, I, I do sort of think that Pep's on a, a hiding to nothing, whatever he does, because obviously the majority of times everyone is wanting the, the classic 4-3-3, but the Razor lineup is, uh, you know, you could make a very, very strong case for that one as well. But I think we better um, stop with this game, uh, guys. And um, my next question is for Ray. Ray, the next game that we have is against Leeds uh, on Saturday. Is this the game that you did not want between two legs in the quarterfinal of the Champions League? Sorry, Mike, I have no issues with playing Leeds um, yeah. now, uh, you know. Um, partly because we are, you know, quite comfortably clearing the league. We need uh, a, a maximum. It's a maximum of eleven points, uh, and ten points will probably do it to win the league. So if we have a, a, a three wins and a draw in our next seven games, we win the league. Okay, so that's it. You know, and, and, and in and in those seven games, we know we've, we've not got just you know we've got Leeds obviously next. But we've got some other games that you'd like to think we're going to win. You know, we've got, uh, besides Aston Villa away, we've got Palace away, we've got Chelsea at home, we've got Newcastle away, Brighton away, Everton at home. Uh, yeah, on the last day of the season. Now, I'd be really disappointed if we can't pick up 10 points in those seven games uh, between now and the end of the season. So Leeds, it's not something I'm, I'm, I'm uh, scared about or worried about. Uh, they're, a, they're a decent they, they can be a decent team, but they've also lost 14 go- uh, games this season. They've let in 48 goals, if I'm correct. 48 goals they've let in this season. So, you know, they've, and look, they've won the last two games, drawn the one before that. So they're in a reasonable amount of form for the last three games. But I, I look at, uh, they scored a lot of goals, but I look at their goal difference and, and how many goals they've conceded in 30 games. They're letting in one and a half goals a game. Um and I just think that's too. I just think that's too many um, to compete with City. Um, and and it's. A, I also think it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, rest place for Dortmund. And it would it would have been nice if we'd walked away with the four 0 win against Dortmund. And then you you don't care who you play against Leeds or in the return leg of Dortmund. You know, with that being flippant. Um, 
but I, I think it's I think it's a good enough uh, game. If we played the way we've been, and as I said, it's a system. It's not the players, so we can drop certain players like KDB, uh, bring in other players like uh, you know we could we could even start Aguero, bring in Gabriel Jesus to start, bring in Sterling. I expect him to play against Leeds, um, maybe for uh, Ferran Torres as well. So I think it's a system that will determine what happens in, in the game against Leeds. You know. They've, uh, they're all right going forward. They've scored, you know, they're scoring one and a half goals a game as well. But I just think right now uh, it, it shouldn't matter who we play. So I'm not worried about Leeds at all. I think if they had the fans there, I think that would have made a had, they'd have had a greater impact. But I, I think for, for us, it's just we look at it as just another team to play. Okay, um, let's move on, guys. In the interests of time, Colin, um, City's financial results came out. Um, what were your thoughts? Not unexpected that we would report a loss, but I think the size of the loss caught people by surprise. So, discussing this with the the legend that is Swiss Ramble, and and uh, obviously revenue was down because um, we we only got two thirds uh, of the game from a match day revenue point of view. The season was suspended uh, in March, beginning of March, so um, money from the Premier League and uh, UEFA. For the Champions League was withheld, so we're about um, uh, um, just checking my notes. We we were down about um, seventy-two, eighty-five million um, on all those sources, which obviously doesn't help. Uh, we were slightly up to about twenty, just under twenty million up on commercial revenue, probably because of the Puma deal. Uh, we probably lost something on that as well. I'm not sure. So. Um, I think, but the thing, so, so that wasn't a surprise. So, in fact, we're about 50, 56 million down. It was pretty well what I thought we would be. So, that, that, is, that wasn't the shock. I think the shock came uh, in, in the, on the expensive side where wages had gone up um, 11% from 315 million last year to over 350 million this year. Now, if you think about it, 2019, we, we'd. Um, won the, the treble, domestic treble. So you imagine bonuses would have been high in that year, and certainly it was significantly higher than the year before. So um, 55 million higher than the year before, which you'd expect 20%. But say we only, uh, uh, only, only won the League Cup last season. So there's nothing really to explain why the wage bill has gone up by such a considerable amount. I, you know, there weren't a lot of players renegotiating contracts. We didn't bring a lot of players in. In the summer, uh, Roger and Can- Cancello, I think, were the t- two main ones. They're not going to add, you know, thirty-five million to the wage bill. I, I would have thought. So, so that Raheem's, was a bit of a puzzle. So I was going to say, didn't Raheem Sterling re- renegotiate his contract? Maybe it's all gone to him. You know, but not not that much in a season where we haven't won as much as we had the previous yeah. season. So uh, th- that was a bit of a puzzle. So it'd be interesting to see how that works out. Whether we just Bunged everything we could in the wages bill, you know, bonuses and whatever that we paid out, come what may, I don't know. But uh, And the other um, big increase was in what they call other operating expenses. So we show wages separately, but basically we chuck everything into one pot. We don't we don't give any more, much more detail than that. Uh, and that went up uh, just over 25 percent from 105 million last year to 130 million. There may be an explanation for, for a lot of that. Of course, we, we fought the case at CAS, uh, and that took a lot of legal uh, firepower. So, so it's possible that there was, say, 20 million 
in that for in that 130 million for ex, for just purely for legal expenses. Again, we'll see next year because no, we weren't putting on matches, so the expenses couldn't have been that high on our ordinary expenditure. And it's always been the last three years; it's been around the same amount. So uh, that's a bit of a strange one. So say income was down 50 million, uh, but expenses were up 60 million. So um, or 56, 56, 57 million. So that pretty well accounts for the loss. Uh, and it's, it, it's not the revenue that's the problem; it's the expenses. So it'd be interesting to see when we release the 2021 accounts sometime, hopefully later this year, um, whether those exp- whether we have taken the opportunity to throw everything we can into this year, knowing it's going to be a loss anyway. Uh, because next year, obviously, say we lost revenue um, this year, we're not going to get the match day revenue back. Um, that came in at just over 41 million. We've lost all that. We aren't going to. We're going to get nothing in, or very little in, if we get fans in the stadium for the last few games. But of course, we didn't get all the money from the Champions League. We didn't get all the money from the Premier League. So we've we've probably got about uh, 60 million possibly to come in. Maybe depends on how we do in the Champions League. We get through to the semi-final. Maybe we're looking at 70, 75 million to come in next season on top of what we would get anyway. So. we could be looking at total revenue of somewhere like 550 million, let's say. Um, the clubs seem confident that we'll break even next in this one, this current financial year, uh, and that that 120 million loss will work out. You know, they say they call it normalised, but basically it'll be 60 million each year. So, um, you know, if, if what they're saying is, if we added the revenue we should have got this year, if the season had finished on time. We've probably made a similar increase in expenses, uh, and another sixty million will go into next year, and we'll break even. So uh, we'll wait and see. Really, um, it, it, it's it's not great. It, I, I don't think there's going to be an implication from financial fair play point of view. A because we'll roll it into next year anyway, and I think UEFA have said anything directly attributable to COVID won't be um, penalised for. So, but you know, we've had UEFA's promises before, haven't we, on these? Things. So yeah, uh, pretty poor set of results. I think only Everton have reported worse so far, but pretty well, uh, you know, partly as expected. Um, revenue down as expected, expenses up more than expected. Um, Ray, anything to add to that? Um, not, not really. Um, just looking at what Ferran um, Soriano said. That's uh, basically what what Colin said at the end there. Um, he said a better financial picture of the COVID years will be provided at the end of the 2020-21 season when the two seasons are combined. And we are confident that Manchester City is on track to show a positive financial result in the season 2020-21. So, uh, and I read somewhere else, I think it was Khaldun expects, you know, on his numbers, because we lost £126 million this year in the last accounts, and if, if we normalise it and over the two years uh, as a, um, 120 loss over the two years, that would indicate they're expecting to make about £6 million profit this season, which isn't much, but you know, it, it will get back to what City were doing. City were always making a small uh, profit. Um, and I, I want to bring something up. I, I, I'm not a big talk sport listener. I, I haven't listened for a long time, but something came up on, on Twitter and I think we were... Uh, a few of us were chatting about it, but it was Simon Jordan talking about City. Um, and 
Look, look. Yes, he, he used to be, he, and the phrase is, he used to be a very rich man as an entrepreneur, um, and bought palace, and he, he lost everything, or lost loads of money, and he had to sell up and all that. And, and he was there, you know, having a go at City for losing this amount of money, and said it's not fair, it's not fair on the pyramid. And um, on the program was uh, Trevor Sinclair trying to bat for City. You could argue it's a little bit unfair because you'd think that uh, Simon Jordan knows a little bit more about finances than Trevor Sinclair. But the thing is, and Trevor Sinclair wanted to talk about debt because, you know, he said uh, Barcelona had 1.1 billion in debt and, and all this. And all the, you know, United had about 700 million in debt. I think Real Madrid are in debt. Lots of clubs are in debt. And Jordan tried to put his usual thing. If you, if you talk fast uh, and, and as if you know what you're talking about, then you can try and put the other person down and, and make them think, all oh, right, you know, I, I look like a fool or something. But so Jordan was saying that, you know, that we are spoiling you know, football by spending so much and uh, other teams can't compete. But hang on a minute. All these teams with huge debts, like your £700 million, they're spending huge amounts of money. They're borrowing money to spend. Barcelona have borrowed money in, in the last few years, a lot of money. To spend on people like Griezmann, who was, oh, I can't remember how much Griezmann cost, to buy players like Usman Dembele for about 125 million, um, to buy people like Philip Coutinho for about 130 million, to buy, who did they get? Was it Frankie de Jong they got as well for about 70 million? So, you know, I did some numbers recently and they'd spent over 500 million pounds on players in, you know, in the last couple of years and they were paying those players, the new players, a sum a combined eighty-five million pounds. So it's the teams with the debt who are, who are able by utilizing this debt by taking on huge loans, they're able to spend phenomenal amounts of money on players and skew the whole playing field. So if anybody's you know messing around with the playing field, it's these teams with debt. United seven hundred million in debt and going splashing eighty million on someone like Harry Maguire, um, who some would argue is a journeyman centre back. You know, spending was it 90 95 million on Paul Pogba and then was it 20 million to his agent? You know, so if anybody's skewing it, it's these teams that are allowed to take on huge amounts of debt. Yes, they can service the debt. This is Jordan's argument. What's the problem? They can service the debt. Well, what if Sheikh Mansour wants to spend 100 million on, on players for City if he wants to put the money in? He can afford it. The guy's got you know tens of billions of dollars in the bank so he can afford all this as well so don't come out you know and it's his it's his argument against teams like city or clubs like city and psg and and you know you you always wonder what the real point is because they try and hide the real points by you know disguising it with something else and um not bottom of the uh, bottom line is at the end of the day these teams with huge debts take it out huge loans to pay huge uh, transfer fees, huge agents fees and huge um, uh, wages. That's that's really hurting the game. I'm sorry, just, just, just one thing I should add. Um, looking at the accounts, Sheikh Mansour has not put any money, despite the fact we made a loss, Sheikh Mansour has not apparently put any money in, certainly not in the last financial year. Okay. All right. That's a uh, that's a good point to to make. Um, okay, guys. Um, I think the best way to do it is this. We've got a, a number of little small points, and instead of having a full blown discussion on each of them, what I'll do is I'll mention the topic and I'll give it to each of the lads, and they can give their thoughts. 
Um, all right, let's start off with um, Colin on one that I think he might be able to answer uh, re- relatively quickly. Um, here's your topic, Colin. Sergio Aguero to stay in the Premier League. No, don't say it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, although, Colin, um, it's argued that he wants to um, get higher up the, 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 the list of leading Premier League uh, scorers, and that's why it's attractive to him. Um, I, I don't think I don't think he disrespects us like that. Okay, okay, yeah. Mike. I, I will just say, why would Sergio Aguero? Okay, he, you know he's been here ten years, but I don't think that's anywhere near the top of his list of priorities for what where he goes next to to break. He's not going to break Alan Shearer's record. The yeah. best he can break Rooney's record. That's it. He's not going to get anywhere near Alan Shearer. He needs was it another eighty goals or so? Um, yeah. You know, he's not doing that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next uh, topic for Ray. Ray, um, you 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 you've seen, or at least you know, um, about the other Champions League uh, first leg results. Um, which team would you say looks the most impressive so far? Mm. Well, we had Chelsea winning tonight. We had Real Madrid beating Liverpool, um, and we had uh, um, PSG beating Bayern Munich. It's really hard to say. Um, I mean, look, you could you could argue that Porto are the easiest side without any disrespect to them that are in, left in the competition. So you can see Chelsea getting through there. So does that make Chelsea look brilliant um, and, and, a, and a, the biggest danger? I'm not sure. We saw with Bayern Munich. Look, you know they got they open at the back, but they they their attacking threat is just incredible. You know, people will say because Lewandowski wasn't playing today, um, that cost them two or three goals. Um, it's up in the air for that. Uh, but they're still a threat, even though they've lost 3-2 at home to uh, PSG. Uh, PSG, I think, generally decent defending, uh, and their threat is uh, obviously uh, Mbappe and Neymar. And Liverpool against Real Madrid, it was quite interesting, actually. It's quite interesting because... Um, when Liverpool lose now, all I'm ever interested, all I'm interested in is what is Jurgen Klopp's excuse? You know, we, we've seen in games uh, gone by, he's blamed it on the sunshine. I've seen him blame it on the moonlight. Once he blamed it on the good times, but this time he's blaming it on the boogie. <laughs> Colin, your topic is rail seating. Go. Yeah, so the club have announced they're going to install rail seating. Um in the South Stand, level one. Um, now, um, it doesn't mean we've introduced safe, safe standing. It uh, doesn't quite exist. But basically, rail seating, for people who don't understand it, is a seat. But it's like a, an old-fashioned uh, crash barrier that they used to have on the terraces. So you've got a chest-high barrier rather than a seat back in front of you. Uh, and um, the seats can be um, lowered in bulk or raised in bulk. Now, at, at the moment, the legislation says uh, all stadiums have got to be all seated, but um, Sports Ground Safety Authority licensing requirements require people to sit on the seats. Now, obviously, this has been largely ignored because of clashes between uh, fans and stewards in the past, but um, it, so it will only yet be one for one. So, you know, if we're putting out 5,500 seats, 5,600, I think it is, then that 5,600 seats, rail seats, Put in. But if the legislation, City believe in the next three to four years, that will happen. If the legislation changes, then you can actually get more people in. So rather than have just one person per space, at the, as, it, as it would be at the moment, you can perhaps get 
one and a half people, so three for every two in a standing situation. So, so um, yeah, it doesn't make any specific difference at the moment, but watch this space. Mm-hmm. Ray, your topic, your mini topic is advertising hoarding. <laughs> yeah, it was announced uh, recently that there's going to be uh, an extra tier of advertising uh, banner, no, the electric uh, advertising uh, banners, whatever you want to call them, um, hoardings, if you wish, um, around the ground. And we're going to lose about was it 1,100 seats in order to uh, facilitate that. Some people will argue, um, you know, some people were arguing, you know, that's taken away from the fans. It's all about money. <laughs> well, <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. It is all about money these days. Um, and the club will get, you know, a lot more money from the advertising than they would have got from those 1,100 fans. Let's let's be clear about that. And on the other hand, it could be the timing could be right because um, will we get a full house? You know, we talked to Colin earlier of off air about that you know what are the, what's the likelihood of getting full houses when football comes back you know i've spoken to people who said i'm not going back you know i i used to go to you know 40 to 50 games a season and now i'm saving thousands of pounds and you know i feel a bit richer and I'm, i want to stay richer and others say i find other things to do in in the in the lockdown and everything else and i'm going to stay doing those other things other pastimes Others have said, I'm just, I was already sick and tired of the VAR and, and other things. Uh, and this is just a final straw. I'm not coming back. Um, so it, that's going to be interesting. So whether we were going to fill it anyway, I don't know. Um, you know, if it was me, I'd be doing it around the away end because you know, they're, the, they're the cheapest tickets anyway. Colin, your um, mini topic is the League Cup final against Tottenham. Uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, we had a City Matters meeting with City uh, last Wednesday uh, and they said it was possible at that point that, that fans might be allowed into the League Cup final. It's been confirmed since that there will be, there should be 8,000 fans, well, 8,000 people at the League Cup yeah. final. Some of those tickets will go to local residents in the um, NW postcode area. Some will go to the NHS. We're not quite sure at the moment how many are actually going to go to real fans. Um, there's talk, it's anything from 750 tickets to 2,000. Um, but there was talk tonight that fans are going to have to travel down in three special trains uh, in, in like a bubble. Um, but, so, but we don't know at the moment. Um, other than the fact the plan is to have 8,000 fans to test, uh, to test the protocols, really. Um, so it's about, I think there are going to be more researchers there than actually um, fans because they want to they want to understand the way people come in the way people move around the stadium how they socially distance all, all sorts of factors around um basically test events so um again we don't know how the tickets will be allocated uh, apparently brent council have said you can apply for two but uh, they're going to strictly enforce uh, who they go to um nhs apparently allowing people to apply for two tickets um but we, we don't know from the club's point of view what's going to happen at the moment. Ray, you're... But it, but it, sorry, Colin. Yeah, sorry, it's a step, hopefully, in the right direction. Yeah. Ray, so, I know, hopefully, if we get these test events out of the way, we can get to next season and actually have proper, you know, games. Do you think it'll be full next round. season, Colin? Do you think that... I mean, obviously, we, we're still a few months away. But it, do you it, think that you know, that, that's, that's the question, isn't it? Um, we just don't know. I mean... Um, uh, you know, we may have to start with 30,000, 25,000, 30,000. But I think 
it depends on whether um, we just don't know. Um, you know, I, I, what City have said is, you know, we'll, we'll, obviously we'll have the League Cup final. There's going to be the the other FA Cup semi-final, the Leicester Southampton game. It's going to have fans in. They're hoping the ten thousand or, or twenty thousand fans in for the FA Cup final. Um, you know, and then we're reliant on things like the cricket and Wimbledon. Um, you know, to carry on the test events. So we don't know for next season whether we'll be allowed a full. 55,000 or 50-seater stadium or whether we're going to have to carry on you know, with, with 25,000 or whatever. But you know, it's a step in the right direction. Final uh, topic. Um, Ray, your mini topic is the Champions League final. The Champions League final is down for Istanbul and right now you know, I've seen people say, well, why? You know, are we going to have fans there? There's a, Obviously, the, the, the pandemic is uh, it's still a, a global problem. Um, and right now in Turkey, the numbers I think are a, a lot higher than in England. And people are saying, "Well, why can't we do it in England? Why can't they just move it?" And f- some fans can actually go to the game um, because uh, you know it, how many fans can go to Turkey. You know, whoever whoever gets there in the final. Now I don't know. Obviously, I, I, I don't check. I don't know if Turkey is a red list country. So it, let, for argument's sake, let's say two English clubs get to the final. Uh, and none of their fans can go. So um, I, I don't know how it affects everybody else, but you'd have thought maybe if it was in England, maybe that gives an opportunity for more fans to go. If you know, We're not going to have a lot of fans there, but why don't they move it to Hungary, uh, where they've had, um, you know, fan, uh, players have been going to play there. So I don't know if, if it's going to end up being in, in, in Istanbul or not. Um, it'll be interesting to see what UEFA do. And look, you know, uh, I'm not saying we're going to get there, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, if we if we will good enough and fortunate to make it there, would it, would we be able to send any fans at all? Well, guys, um, I think I'm going to call it at this point so that we can come in under two hours, which I think we might just be able to do. Um, thank you very much, Colin Savage, for coming on. Any final thoughts? No, I think we've talked enough. Yep. Okay, so thank you so much, Colin, for coming on. Great, so always a pleasure, as I always. Yep, and uh, Ray, any final thoughts? No, bed, bed calls. That's my final thoughts. Thank you very much for coming on, Ray. Cheers, uh, Mike and, and Colin. Always uh, good fun chatting with you guys. Okay, guys, uh, that's it from us. Um, uh, a monster pod uh, for you. I hope that. Um, you can uh, use this for your listening pleasure. If you go out for a walk, you do some exercise, something like that. We'll be back with you um, very shortly uh, once again. So until then, uh, have one on us and up those blues. <laughs>